Hello, everyone. Now, I always I told several people the first presentation was my boring one. So this one is not going to be boring because this one's going to be about you. Okay? And I'm going to start with who even understands what heart-centered approach to caring is, right? I've had nurses tell me, I don't have time to be present with another patient. And so I want you to think of this. When I started teaching nursing theory, Jean Watson, who is one of the theorists, one of many that I like, and that guides my practice, she said, your presence, your actual healing presence, when you enter that patient's room, can promote healing, or it can do the opposite. It can be a barrier to healing. So when I hear words like that, I think, what am I thinking? Uh, do I have my to-do list to do? What am I, how am I expressing my caring, my unintentional, unconditional, positive regard to that patient? How many times did I act like I was pleasant? Notice I said act. That I was pleasant, introduced myself, and I really just looked through the patient because in my brain I'm thinking, Holy crap, I got a horrible assignment. I got to discharge this patient. I'm going to get these other patients. I'm dealing with the charge nurse from hell. Have you been there before? And then, and then I think, because one of the things that as holistic nurses, what we do is we reflect on how well we're doing on our journey and how we're affecting other people. Because it's truly a sacred practice. Think about it. You wear your uniform. So you're wearing your robes of a shaman, but it's nursing, right? You're putting your stethoscope around your neck. Since my first day of nursing, I was doing a walking meditation. I did not call it a walking meditation. This is the unit that I kind of worked for when I started, and it scared me to death. One side was 24 patients post-open heart. The other side, you had a seven patients. Four of them would be on mechanical vents, and it was supposed to be a step-down unit. So them, some of them had fasciotomies. They had the vents, and you'd have four of them. And you worked with an LPN. So I was an adrenaline junkie, so I always went to the high-acuity unit, right? The cardiac one was boring, especially graveyard, even though we mixed our own IVs. I don't know how we did what we did in the eight hours we had, but what I saw is many burned out nurses. I saw nurses insult patients. I saw nurses hit patients. Yeah. When the patients were combative, because we got a lot of patients from the street that did, were uninsured and they were homeless, they would get extremely violent and the nurses would get burnt out. And if they got kicked or anything, they would hit back. And I was petrified. I was petrified of becoming one of those nurses. And so what I did, I was raised Catholic and Catholics got 
saints for everything on the planet from losing objects to making bargains to doing all these things. So I pray to all the saints. And actually my name, Lourdes Marie Bernadette, is after Our Lady of Lourdes. So, which was a terrible burden on me as a nurse because my patients would say, oh my God, we're gonna be great. We're fine now, she's gonna be taking care. I'm like, oh my God, don't give me any more pressure. But I would call upon all my saints, all my angels, and do this whole walking mantra. I have never stopped doing that meditation every day going to the hospital. And what it did, it created a ritual for unconditional caring practice. So no matter what you believe in, who you believe in, what anchors your spirituality and gives your life meaning and purpose, anchoring practice is essential. Doesn't mean you're gonna have a great day, but it means you know why you're doing what you're doing and what that process is in your journey of life. So we're gonna talk about how to get there. So I'm gonna give you two gifts today that you're gonna be able to take with you anywhere you go. One's for resiliency and one's for trying to analyze and accept what you're doing in this journey of life because you know what, we can't take it for granted because you never know what you're gonna be dealt with at the next moment. So I'm gonna help you never take anybody in your life for granted. So, not everybody's awake, right? <laughs> so heart-centeredness, it starts with presence, practice, and love. And I love the way that Gene Watson describes intentional caring presence as having unconditional positive regard no matter what that patient's journey has been, no matter what they look like, no matter how they act, and being very aware of our own implicit biases is essential to that. But it's not judging them, right? Because we know if somebody says 400 pound diabetic ketoacidosis, is that person white, black, Hispanic? Is that person female? or male. And it's like, we already know everything, right? Seen it, done it before. But I am sure that young girls and boys do not want to grow up to be drug addicts or to be 400 pounds. So when we look at everybody from an empathetic viewpoint, it shifts everything. It shifts you and your conversation and your dialogue. Instead of you have to, you should, you need to do this or you're gonna die. How many people have used that line? Right? In the past, I admit it. To what's keeping you from doing this? What's holding you back? What are you afraid? What's your greatest fear? What's the best thing that could happen? That's unconditional positive regard. Not dictating to someone, that's patient-centered care. And the beauty I forgot to say about Jean Watson, she said, you know, 
our positive healing presence promotes healing, not only for the patient, but guess what? For the nurses also. Because it's when we have that connection. And everybody in this room, I am sure, can recall a story where you connected with a patient that you've never forgotten. And that it's anchored in your mind. Where you've witnessed miracles occur because you help facilitate it. Where you've listened and you realize the sacredness of the moment of helping someone transition into death's journey. Those are all sacred. That's, it's like a privilege, in my opinion, to be a nurse. To be able to walk that space of the healer. So presence is the active ingredient found in peace. So to be still, to be aware, to be living in a conscious, consciously aware moment by moment in your practice, you need to be able to find that peace. And how can you find that peace amongst the chaos that we live with, right? Practice. If you gotta anchor it, you gotta you've gotta have it as part of your daily ritual. It's what's going to keep you loving what you do. I have never regretted one day, no matter how bad, because we know we have our bad days for 35 years that I've been a nurse. I, I prefer taking care of the sickest person in ICU, and I realize it can affect a lot more nurses and a lot more patients doing what I do, but truly that's what I really love doing, is being able to be that agent of healing. But it's anchoring yourself. Before you even walk in that door, what is that intention you're setting? Am I gonna connect with others? Am I gonna look at the synchronicities of life where I get to be an agent for helping another human being? How many people get to say that? but being aware of that moment. But love is essential to it. It's what makes our work joyful. So practice patience and love, create peace. It's our action and healing gift and our mission to hold that space of suffering, to create that sacred space with the patient and you know when you do that, because many times you'll hear these words. I don't know why I'm telling you this. Being present does not take more time. Okay? So we're going to practice this right now before I continue. So what I want, because I know people that know each other sitting together, so I want people to look at the tables to their left or the right, and I want you to sit with a complete stranger and I want you to face that stranger. And once you do that, because everybody's got to move to wake up, um, one of the two people raise their hand when they're done. Ready, set, go.
Okay, we're not going to start talking yet, so try to find a person that you're going to be sitting across. As soon as you find the person and you're sitting face to face, one of you raise your hand. Okay, I see people standing, need to sit down. Need to find a seat, face each other. Need to find a seat and face each other. Because you need to look at each other. One person raised their hand for every paired. Anybody missing a partner, stand up and I'll find you one. There's one person here missing a partner. Okay. So this is what I want you to do, and I will flip it. You'll have two minutes to do this. I want you to talk about yourself to the partner, the ones that raise their hand, begin. Ready, set, go. I don't want any, I don't want any person to move from where they are, but I want you to settle into your chairs and get comfortable, because you're gonna get I want you to keep facing the person you're talking to. This is your first gift. This is your first gift. So the person, so what I want you to do is just sit there, gently close your eyes, and just focus on your breath. Just breathe, in and out. Find your own pace, your own rhythm, and just take deep cleansing breaths. If you breathe in for four counts, and hold for four counts and release for four counts, it's a relaxation response. And just focus on breathing deeply. Do you focus on your breath while you're at work? At home, do you breathe deeply? Our lungs are meant for us to breathe deeply, not shallowly. Notice how your chest rises and falls, whether the shoulders move, whether your stomach and your abdomen expands or goes in. And just find your natural rhythm and pattern. As you're breathing and expanding and deflating your lungs, I want you to change that breath. I want you to breathe into your heart it's a totally different way of breathing. It's a totally different awareness. You need to put your hand on your chest to focus on that breath. And breathe into your heart. With each in-breath, I want you to think love. And with each out-breath, I want you to feel more at peace. As you're breathing into your heart, I want you to recall in your archives of your memories in your mind as you're breathing into your heart, if you could relive that one perfect moment in your life, which moment would it be? 
Would it be the first time you held a child or a grandchild? Would it be a moment that you were with a loved one, the most perfect vacation? I want you to recall the most perfect moment in your life where you felt so much love, it was overwhelming. So go through those archives and find that one moment. When you find that moment, I want you to breathe that moment into your heart. Remember where you were. Remember what was said. Remember feeling all that joy and love that you can't even contain in your heart because it's so, so big. I want you to be in that moment. Once you've captured that moment, I want you to gently reorient yourself to the room and your partner that raised their arms first, want you to look at your partner and tell them who you are. Go. What was the difference between the first time and the second time? Say it out loud. Yes. The first time was more factual. The second time was more? More emotional. Yes? The second time was more intimate. More authentic. Were you comfortable in silence the second time? Yeah? Okay. First time, was it very scripted? Like you had your to-do things to talk about? I'm married, I'm a nurse, I work here, I have so many kids. Right? Did you know what you were going to say the second time? No, you just let it evolve and just happen. Did you feel like you were being heard the first time or that you were really saying anything of any kind of big value. What was, it was more meaningful the second time? So, that moment you went to in your mind, that's the place you need to be every time you wash your hands and go into that patient's room. That's being in a heart-centered space. Why? You were feeling unconditional love, right? You were filled with love. You didn't have an agenda the second time. You didn't have a script. You felt safe in sharing things you didn't even think you were going to share, maybe, right? That's what happens to the patients. And I'll tell you one thing. That is a space we need to be at every moment because if we don't establish that trusted relationship with that patient, 
and it doesn't take more than two minutes to listen to them to get their story, it can be a safety issue also. We might miss some vital pieces of information. Because when you were listening to your partner in that space, did you interrupt them? No. Because again, it wasn't your agenda, it was the patient's agenda. That is what being a healing presence is all about. When you have to deal with difficult decisions in life, when you're stressed to the gourd, the more you practice this, the more you become it. So I would love to see a sign outside every patient door that says pause, reflect, and heal. You want to create a holistic environment? Start with intention. Think about the patient's experience. Think about the patient's journeys. Think about their families. They're in a crisis. Think about when your family and you were in the hospital. It becomes a crisis, right? And when you start looking at it that way, you connect at what Gene Watson calls a transcendental level. When things just evolve, and that connection, that click, I was supposed to be here today in my journey of life to listen to this person. There was a woman that I met several years ago. She did a keynote for Nurses Day, and she was a licensed social worker. Her name was Beatrice, um, Beatrice Berry. And she said something that impacted me so much. She says, when you live your life in purpose, in purpose, you cannot help but collide with your destiny. So are you living in life in purpose? Are you in control? Are you choosing how you want to feel at every moment? There was a study that was done on two groups of people, and they were checking immunoglobulin A, which is our immune boosting system, okay? They got one group of people, and they said, we want you to think angry, frustrating thoughts for five minutes. They got their baseline IgA was really high. After the hour of only five minutes, of angry, frustrating thoughts, their IgA levels dropped dramatically. After two hours, three hours, four. After six hours, it hadn't gone back up. Five minutes. And as nurses, I know, we complain a lot. And as women, especially, we complain a lot. I have six sisters and seven brothers. So when I was in a unit, I had a nasty charge nurse, and I was working with this person. I would call my sister Patty, go, Patty, you won't believe what this woman did at work today. And I usually wouldn't say woman, I'd use the B word. And then she'd go, what are you talking about? I go, you just need to listen to me, because I need to vent, right? Guess what was happening to my IGA? And then after I got over Patty, I go, no, I gotta call Betty and tell Betty that's what's going on. Then I talked to Betty, I go, no, I still feel it inside. I'm gonna call Margaret, I'm gonna tell Margaret. So that's what we do as women. We have to tell everybody our story and be that victim, right? So they did do, they got the other group of people and they told them, we want you to think five minutes of 
gratitude, caring thoughts for five minutes. IGLA levels this big. After an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours, six hours, did not fluctuate. You want to get healthy? You can start with controlling your thoughts. Because let me tell you something, your thoughts, your words have energy. They can affect your emotion, right? Do you think your emotion can affect your physiology? Absolutely. So start shifting before you start opening that door to wherever you work. Start putting practices that are going to anchor your spiritual nature. Because we have a tendency of forgetting about that because we're so busy doing, right? Instead of being aware of who we are being. That tool you have, if you have teenagers, you will never react to them the same way if you use that tool. Because you know certain family members know how to press those buttons. I don't care how zen you get, go home, deal with family, and you realize you're not zen at all. It's like you relapse, you know, and take 10 steps backwards and go, oh God, so much easier when I live away, you know. So it's anchoring this practices. It's anchoring prayer in your life. It's anchoring meditation. Whatever people do to connect with their spiritual natures. But peace only comes when we're being peaceful. So when I think of being peaceful, I think of all of the thoughts we have in our brains. And we have 60,000 thoughts a day. Do you even know what your thoughts are? Do you know how to shut down that chatter? When you thought of that perfect moment in your life, your to-do list, your responsibilities, were they on the forefront or were they in the back burner? That's the first trick, right? The more you do this in your life, the more you become aware. And there's no judgment when it comes to the thoughts that cross our head. Because I've been doing this for a long time. Someone was asking me, how did you, you know, take care of your heart disease? Controlling my thoughts. Timing myself, because you know, I am human and people do upset me from time to time. But I will not spend more than two minutes feeling, venting, and then that's it. Every time I come home from work, the first thing I do is take off my watch. I don't want to live by the minute. So that's my ritual to leave it at work. So I develop rituals to warn me of leaving that at home. I have affirmation cards all over my office. I have affirmation cards all over my house. Because those are anchors of helping me to choose to be the best version of who I could be. So. I have one that says, I'm a good listener. I'm a horrible listener, in my opinion, because I always have an opinion. So, and when people tell me I'm a good listener, I'm always in shock. But I always have things to build upon constantly. So can we find our centers, our heart, our love, our purpose and meaning in the work we do. So there's three pathways to reaching that. 
presence, which includes peace, centeredness, it's rooted in grounding, because you can't be in the clouds. But you've got to get out of your mind and get into your heart. Make sense? Because we're so busy, because we're so important, and we've got to prove to everyone how good we are. And we've got to put everybody in front, in, you know, before us. We've got to serve, do. It's being authentic, practice, and it just starts with something as easy as breathing. When I had a good administration and I know I was going to deal with a difficult situation because I was starting an integrative health care department, you would see me doing major deep breathing down the hallways on the way up there, going, oh my God. And you know what? It would always work. Because it's about controlling who you choose to be at every moment. And you know what? I don't want to give my power away to people who are burned out, to situations I have no control over. Because we're not in this world to worry about money. Maybe we don't need that many things. Maybe we just need to live a simpler life. We don't need drama in our lives. We can do without drama. We can choose to get hooked into drama or we can choose not to get hooked into drama. And it's much more pleasant when you, don't, when you choose not to get hooked into it. Some people find their practice through yoga, tai chi, exercise. And love is developing compassion, empathy. I'm gonna give you a tool called Pearls. I learned it teaching communication in healthcare from Mayo Clinic. Pearls is partnership, empathy, acknowledgement or apology, respect, legitimization and support. And I'll tell you a story. As a critical care director and as a leader, I learned through my mistakes. Trust me, I made a lot of mistakes. And one of, the, one of the things I learned is when patients or families are in crisis, you know, in the ER, in critical care, you always call security, right? So I get, and you don't get the whole story when you're in leadership most of the time. This happened in Indiana. There was an 18-year-old girl, she was getting ready to graduate. And she was given some roofies at a party, aspirated, comes to our unit, and the doctors think that she has very limited brain capacity. So we let the family sit on it for 24 hours, but during the night shift, I get a call from my night shift, and there was bruising in the genital area. So we had a call, the same nurse, call the police, and uh, she had been multiply raped. These were her childhood buddies that she had at her party. So the next day, the nurse comes in to talk about the test that we put the water in and that the eyes deviate a certain way. There's no brain function. And the father turns into a maniac papa bear. He's freaking out, yelling at her he was big. 
And so she was afraid. So that's how I get it. When I start dwelling into the story, this is where healthcare gets a little dysfunctional. The cardiologist had gone by and he told the father, she's hemodynamically stable. She's fine, I don't need to see her anymore. What did that tell the father? She's getting better. She's really getting better. And here the nurse comes, and he starts cussing her out, saying she doesn't know what she's doing. And I got to walk into that situation. I don't have an 18-year-old, but I have 39 nephews and nieces that I help raise. And one of the things as nurses that we need to do is to become vulnerable. Is it easy? Oh, hell no. Is it hard to maintain control? Yeah. But is it worth it? Oh, hell yes. So I walked into that man's room and I said, I am so sorry that this has happened to you and your family. I can't imagine what you feel and you have every right to be upset because you did not get the information properly. So I'm going to have all the doctors sit at the table with you. I will not leave you until you feel you've been informed of what's going on with your daughter and that everybody is being honest at the table with you and you feel comfortable. And I'm sobbing. But when I told him, you have every right to feel this way, he decompressed. He had every right to feel that way. But I couldn't imagine saying I understand is the worst thing you can say. But I wasn't going to leave him alone. I didn't care if I had to wait till the next day for the doctors to show up. I wasn't going to leave him alone. And, then, and within eight hours, we ended up doing the tests and pulling the tubes and having everybody in the family. But vulnerability is key, right? So with presence, we've got to remember to smile. We've got to feel love. Whatever draws that into you, that goodness of being, feeling the privilege of doing the work that you're doing. Practice is what anchors you. Something you can recall, so you don't have to do a meditation. You're like, boom, you're there. And love is that feeling of, I'm doing the right thing. This is where I'm supposed to be. So practice can come through breathing, yoga, like I said. Prayer, centering practices, just sitting in stillness. Or some people like to move. Presence begins with being aligned, mind, body, spirit. The good news is, if you work on your spiritual nature, guess what? It will affect your emotional nature, which can affect your physical nature, because everything is connected. And it's all about coherence. Coherence occurs when you walk into that room and you have a healing presence and you lift that patient's presence and energy up. You recognize that they're in their journey and you happen to cross at this intersection 
And how will that manifest? So there's a curiosity. There's not that, oh, been here, done it before. No, this patient's uncompliant. No, this patient's eating whatever they want. They're probably depressed. They're probably hoarders. You just keep going down that list, you know. And then love is built through compassion, empathy, devotion, and devotional practices. And finding moments in life that not only inspire you, but go beyond that moment of what I call a grace-filled moment when you get the goosebumps. You've been in those moments? So practice is breath, meditation, and movement. I know that I have life only in so far as I have love. I have not love except it comes from thee. Help me please to carry this candle against the wind. So heart-centered care begins with rituals, finding things that nurture you, whether some people find nature nurturing, so gardening. How many people love to garden? And being out in the woods and hiking. And then sacred practice. If we don't nurture our spirit, we're never going to find that balance. So it's something we can't disregard. I have nurses that, I always do a spiritual assessment on there. I do a, like a holistic assessment when I'm teaching holistic nursing. And I had one nurse say, you know, I never realized I completely ignored my spirituality. Once I got married, stopped going to church, had kids, working on my masters. And she was telling the story of how holistic nursing changed her life. She said, I dreaded going to work. I thought I was a failure. Here I have two kids, I'm working on my master's and I, I, I worked in a very toxic environment. And then she learned some tools for centering, for anchoring, for finding self-care. Because we gotta take care of ourselves. Because if we don't start taking care of ourselves and start reflecting on our practice and journaling and finding tools to feed or nourish our spirit, we're going to get burned out. And how can we stay in that state of joy and can't wait to go to work state, right? So I was talking to her and she goes, well, after I took the nursing class, I now say a walking prayer into the hospital because she's Christian and she was saying her prayer. And now every time she goes into the patient room, when she washes her hands, she asks God, to help her so she's a healing presence for that patient and help him or her heal that she's there for the greater good of the patient that's her intention every time she washes her hands so I happened to ask her because I had no idea what she was going to say in front of this group of leaders how do you feel about your work today she says I can't wait to go I love it. I'm involved in the magnet process. We're creating a comfort card for family members of their loved ones that are dying so they can be a little bit, have some aromatherapy for their own stress. And she starts, Doo -doo 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 -doo. did her environment change? She changed. 
So your environment, you can't wait for that environment to change. You could choose to change yourself. You can't change anyone. So the return on present, there's a principle of sufficiency if you let go of trying to get more of what you don't really need. It frees up oceans of energy to pay attention to and make a difference with what you already have. When you make a difference with what you have, it keeps expanding. That space allows you to be creative. It helps you become a problem solver. It helps you not feel stuck. It helps you step into your power and find your voice. Because I know there's a lot of holistic nurses that are in the closet. I don't believe in being in that closet because I know the value that I bring to that patient. So as a patient advocate, that's where I find my voice. So heart centering, caring begins with presence and presence begins with vulnerability. <clears throat> vulnerability is the core of shame, fear, and the feeling of feeling unworthy. And guess what, if we try to block those emotions, you block joy, love, and belonging. You can't block one without blocking the other. So that's why it's important to feel while you're in your practice, not to be afraid, to be vulnerable. Stop putting those walls of separation or computers in front of the patients. So have you guys heard of Brene Brown? She's a psychotherapist. She's been studying vulnerability for over 20 years. If you have a chance, look at her videos. She says that when she asks people about vulnerability and you ask them about love, most people will tell you about their heartbreak. If you ask them about belonging, they tell you about their most excruciating experiences of their life. If you ask people about connection, many of them tell you how disconnected they feel. So shame, defined as fear of disconnection, think about it. What makes you feel less worthy of connections with others? What keeps you from connecting to others? And a lot of the time, it's because we don't feel good enough. So how do we shift that? So we numb fear, like I said. And when we numb fear, we numb joy in our life. So how can we start facing our vulnerability? That's why we're the most addicted, overweight. Um, there's another one, addicted, overweight, and depressed society, cohort in society, in the history of humankind. Because when we don't feel worthy, guess what? We're feeding our spirits with different things, whether it's alcohol, cigarettes, food, addictive behaviors of different kinds. So the place to be in the people that are most willing to be vulnerable 
she defined as wholehearted. Wholehearted people are not afraid to be perfect. They embrace being imperfect. They're compassionate. They feel that it's okay to connect. They feel joy, love, belonging. They're courageous people. Cur, the first part of courage, in Latin means heart. So courage comes from the heart, from not being afraid of being perfect all the time. So people that were wholehearted, they embrace vulnerability. They weren't shy about being authentic to patients, empathetic, emotional. To be wholehearted, you need to be vulnerable. And it's basically being in a state of gratitude and joy and embracing it. It's embracing our humanness. So, one of the most difficult things though, you know, we can love a lot of people, but we need to start loving ourselves first and taking time to take care of ourselves. So many things, when I'm teaching nurses about nutrition and people that overeat or have any kind of problems is, before you reach for that drink, before you reach for that cigarette, is ask yourself, your authentic self, what is it you really need? Maybe you just need to take a deep breath. Maybe you just need to take a walk around outside. Maybe you just need to call a loved one and someone that'll make you laugh. So that's vulnerability. So it's developing a sense of coherence. There's three components to it. First one is comprehensibility is belief that things happen in an order of predictable fashion, a sense that you can understand the events in your life, whether they're good or bad. Right? Because life happens. We're all wounded healers. Nobody is free from wounds on this planet. Right? Second gift I'm going to give you. How many people in this room are prepared to lose their most beloved family member today? How many people hold those tools in place? How many people have dealt with death? And isn't it surprising how much we spiritually grow when someone dies in the family? Why do we wait? In this culture, we never talk about it. So I'm going to tell you a story. When I was 25, I had an eight-year-old nephew. Being that single aunt, I got to babysit everybody. So I had an eight-year-old nephew that I practically raised. He had moved with his family to Athens. His brother and him were riding bicycles, and he got hit by a truck. He was almost decapitated in his amputated arm. That was probably the most devastating death that I had experienced up to that point. And everybody in my family, being Catholic, kept saying it was God's will. And I wasn't very happy with God, to say. So what did I do? As a nurse, I worked a lot of double shifts because I didn't want to feel. I wanted to get numb, right? I didn't want to think about it. 
I, I just wanted to work as much as possible and immerse myself in my work. So I did that for three months. And then I, and then I thought, I don't know if I had a day off, but I finally said, oh my God, if I lose one of my sisters, I'm gonna have a nervous breakdown. I'm not ready for this. So I had made a lot of money working a lot of double shifts. So I invited all of my sisters to the beach for a weekend on me. So they all showed up. And it was very hilarious because my sister Betty is like the fashion victim in the family. So she had a show, she had like three bathing suits for every day. She had sunglasses and earrings and hats that matched the bathing suits with the flip flops. It was ridiculous and she was doing a fashion show. And I kept telling God, I'm like going, God, how am I gonna pull this off? We're at the beach, we all love to get sun because my skin was probably 10 shades darker because I never had to use suntan lotions, my Spanish blood. And I thought, holy crap. Don't you know it poured rain the entire weekend? So my sisters were like after breakfast the first morning, we're so excited, we can't wait till you do the surprise that you want us to do. And I said, okay. So I had them all and I'm like going, God bless me. I said, well, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna mourn each other's death. And I told them, I was vulnerable and I said, if one of you dies, I'm gonna have a nervous breakdown and I can't handle that. And I'm all about control. Totally honest, I'm all about control. And I need to be prepared for these things. And so things like, remember when mom slapped me because you tattletold on me that I snuck to watch that R-rated movie? I have been traumatized since then. <laughs> My sister Patty, who's eight years younger than me, she goes, Lords, I was four years old when you traumatized me. You said you would never be my best friend again. I go, why? And she goes, because I told mom and dad we were sneaking to the beach. And I go, oh, I remember that day. <laughs> so those things that are inner resentments that pull us away from family and people we love, all that crap came out. So then we started speaking from a different place what if you are not here to share this life with me? How would that make me feel? Since that moment that we spoke, I am cool being across the country living away from my family because that love is within me, doesn't change. But the petty conversations have changed. They have no meaning for us. So the way we speak to each other, it's in a completely different level. So then the following day was, how do you want to be remembered or what kind of, a, so I wanted to be cremated. I'm the practical one, it's cheap. At that time it cost $800. I'm saying, I don't need a big ceremony, just fry me, put me out in the ocean. We're gonna go to dust anyway. They're going, no, you're a Catholic, you can't. 800 bucks, just do it. The practical nurse, right? So we had a big discussion. Interestingly enough, half of them now want to be cremated. Just saying. But um, so, for example, now my sister Betty, the fashion victim, had a scare with cervical cancer. She was getting a biopsy. 
So I called her and I said, you want me to go to the appointment with you? And she goes, no, Chris is going, that's her husband. And I go, okay. I go, so you wanted the yellow roses, right? And she goes, damn it. You and Patty have already put me in the ground. <laughs> but now it's not like I'm going to miss her, of course, but I'm not gonna be devastated and I wanna know how I'm going to honor her properly is my priority because that love is always with me. So it gives you a different meaning. So since then, and that's been close to quite a few years ago, um, close to 20 some five more years, that was our first sister retreat. Ever since then, we have a retreat. We leave spouses, significant others, kids, and we get together. Now what we do is we honor each other. And when I turn 50, next year I'm gonna be turning 60, so they're getting all revved up to do something. And I got four sisters that are school teachers. So a lot of things about aromatherapy, I was introduced through my sister's affirmation cards, like in the early 80s. So you can just imagine, we've been having a lot of practice on this. And my sisters will always give me, the teachers, a laminated agenda for our weekend retreat. Really? But one of the things they do, so they'll have reflexology, they'll have aromatherapy, they'll have different meditations and different activities. But at the very end, they give me, or we give each other, when we're honoring a milestone birthday, this gift. Like I'm gonna turn 60, so each of them are gonna get together, they're gonna divide it equally, 60 things honoring my spirit. And they say them out loud. So you can imagine, people that have known you your whole life, number one, we're not very good receiving, we're good giving as nurses. It freaks you kind of out when somebody starts giving you so much love. But to say it out loud is overwhelming love. And they know you. They know your good side, they know your bad side, they know your, the trauma you caused them as childhood. <laughs> but it's unconditional love. So if you have children, if you have living parents, which I don't now, I highly suggest Next birthday, next milestone. If you have any children, write, if they're 18, 18 ways they've graced your life, that you feel blessed that they've been in your life. It is the best present you could ever give anybody. And if you say them out loud, guess what? It's not unconditionally loving for them, but also for you. And guess what's happening to, happening to that IGA as you're giving and receiving? Right? So how can we create more moments like that that are meaningful and priceless? It changes your connection with people that have been in your life, your whole life. So coherence is surviving life and learning from it. And when you do that, you don't judge others 
you, you're more empathetic, you're more aware, you don't get so much in your head. But it's knowing your path in life and why are you here for. If you are unhappy at work, find something that's going to make you joy-filled. Nobody's stopping you but you. We set limitations on ourselves. The world is out there for us to conquer. And trust me, there's three, I think it's like 3.2 million nurses in the United States. We need to dictate how we want to practice. We don't need to be under the medical model. I am tired of being part of the room charge. Physical therapists can charge and open their own practices. Why aren't we opening our own practices? We're great critical thinkers. We're great problem solvers. Why aren't we helping our communities and getting more involved in trying to work with prevention and healing communities that are falling apart? Especially with the opioid crisis we have right now. Who's going to educate? Who's going to support? It's a lot easier than you think, but it starts with intention. It starts with caring, wanting to make a difference. So what greatness do you each have that you can allow to shine? So interestingly enough, I have St. Francis's prayer behind this. But words, spiritual writings, those things can completely fill your spirit. Find things that inspire you to read. To awaken into wisdom, compassion, peace, are the elements for setting a caring, unconditionally positive regard for an intention. With peace is knowing that journey. Wisdom starts with listening. Being curious about someone else's journey. If we're not curious, we oversee a lot of things. Early in my career, I remember there was this patient and he had had a stroke. And the nurse was trying to get a DNR signed for this patient and getting the son, who was a police officer, to sign the DNR. And the gentleman couldn't communicate, <clears throat> so he would just go crazy. But he couldn't communicate. So I said, why don't we take, we don't have to do this today. Why don't we wait? I get called because he's getting combative, right? So I get back in the room and I just sit down. When you are present, you're okay with being quiet, right? So I was quiet. And I go, you don't want to, do, you don't want to sign that form, do you? I had to sit there for half an hour to listen to him to say his story. But you know, I thought he had a stroke, he can't speak. He's not aware of what's going on. Oh, he was very aware. Slowly, I find out he doesn't want to sign the DNR. He used to be a professional football player. He used to be a professor at a university in Tennessee, and his mind was totally intact. 
If I wouldn't have sat down and listened, if I would have been too busy doing, and he wasn't even my patient. I happened to be in charge that day. But those moments, those are the jewels that we can hold on to when we're present. If something makes us say, no, I think I need to sit down and listen and see what happens. There's seven faces to intention. So the first one is living an inspired, purpose-filled life. So when I was a director of critical care, I told my nurses, because how many people feel like they have to go to work because they gotta pay bills? Right? So what if your director, your manager said, listen, if you're burned out, you get a free day. Don't come into work if you don't want to be to work, be at work. That's what I told my staff. I don't want you to come more work if you don't want to be here, right? I don't want anybody taking care of me that doesn't want to be there, right? So I go, you have a free pass whenever you want it. You call me, I'll never dock you for it. Do you know no one took advantage of that? But it shifted things. They didn't go to work because they had to go to work. They went to work because they wanted to get to work, knowing they had an out, right? So it's thinking every morning, why do I choose to do this? Why do I do the work that I do? Not because I gotta make money. That's a secondary thing, but do it because it's got meaning and purpose. So when we're too busy, we don't get to see the beauty around us, right? And I'm not just talking about nature, I'm talking about people's smile, connecting with others as you're walking down the hallways, feeling the joy that other people radiate, the more you become aware, the more you get to feel these things. So that is intention. When you have once seen the glow of happiness in the face of a beloved person, you know that we can have no other vocation than to awaken that light on the faces surrounding us. This presentation, you could tell that it's done very artistically. I have a friend, his name is Said Oslo. He is a Zen Buddhist, and he asked me, what is holistic nursing? And based on our conversation, he created that background for me for this presentation like six years ago. So I have to give him credit for his beautiful artistic work. And he also created this as a gift to me. And he wanted to talk about nursing or do like a visual guided imagery. On the background, there's a Native American flute playing. And that is one of my nurses that studied with a shaman for over 15 years. His name is Gregory Lathrop. He's a phenomenal holistic nurse. He's about 6'3" used to be in charge of the air ambulance crew in the ED. 
lost his job, started working palliative care, and somehow came to me. And I was blessed with having him work for me for many years. So I want to put this in honor of what you do every day. And thank you for what you do. Everybody read it. It says, the nurse tenderly takes the hand of the frail elder, struggling to accept life. The nurse gently diffuses the anxieties of the venerated dependent person in the ICU, lovingly sings hymns to the infant dying in her arms. This is holy ground. Smiles warmly, embraces the cancer patient arriving for chemotherapy treatment slips a comforting arm around the trembling shoulders of a newly bereaved father. This is holy ground. The nurse listens with a caring heart to an Alzheimer's patient. Holy ground is in presence, in holding space, in being in right relationship, is in love, in peace. to our patron saint, Florence Nightingale. Thank you.